Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by Lucas Oil, Auto Value and Bumper to Bumper, and TireRack.com. Your podcast host, John Davis. And thank you, Alec Webb. Welcome, everyone, to MotorWeek podcast number 298, closing in on that big 300 number. I'm John Davis. Joining me for this very special podcast is Alex Kellum, Jessica Ray, and our special guest, Joe Ligo. And we'll get to exactly why Joe has revisited us. He's a former uh, MotorWeek alumnus. Uh, in a few minutes, this is our Chicago Auto Show special, where we're going to run down very quickly the new hardware that we saw at Chicago, and there was more than any uh, recent year. Uh, the auto show is actually back to its full size for the first time since uh, 20, uh, uh, 2020, I guess. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, we'll start, because Jessica is sitting right here on my uh, right side, with the 2023 Jeep Wrangler Rubicon 20th Anniversary Edition. And everybody probably knows that watches Motor Week that uh, Jessica is very much a Jeep enthusiast. I feel like I'll never You're live never gonna, that down. Well, what's to live down? I think it's a point of praise. We're going to run worse down the cars whole list like. and then we'll sure. end up with something special. But go ahead. What's different about these two uh, Wranglers? Well, you know, Jeep loves to do anniversary. Edition. Right. So this isn't anything revolutionary, um, but I know that a lot of Jeep fans and specifically folks who are interested in the Rubicon um, will probably be very much interested in this 20th anniversary edition. It comes in three different types. Okay, so a 4xe, so that's the plug-in hybrid version that gets about 21 miles of electric range. The 392, which is the 470 horsepower right. V8, um, and then also a special American Expedition vehicle. Now version. I didn't know that because all I saw were the first two. Well, they like introduced. So I was at the reveal, and they introduced the first two. Right. And then like they talked about those, and then they brought out the special AEV ah, version, okay. which is. Um, pretty sweet looking it's got special wheels it's got like all of this custom aev um accessories a winch um off-road lights is a, is aev a company or what's what are they like a third party or yes, I, i'm pretty because most everybody that reviewed missed that yeah i mean yeah. I, th I think they're like a it's like similar in in like the the vein that Jeep uses like JPP like you can get right, JPP right, right. parts like AEV. It's just like an aftermarket. So it was probably more like yeah okay more like the Mopar. And the treatment. AEV is limited to 150 units I think. I can't imagine it's all that much. Um, yeah. But so you also and you get like 37 inch wheels or, or tires from the, the factory. That is the first time you can ever get that from the factory in a Jeep. Um, so that's a, like a very special, special edition of this 20th anniversary. Two new colors, that. too, that we've never seen either one of those colors, have we? I thought that was part of the point. Yes, there the were. Blue, the, it was a blue and a yellow, a blue, but they were both unusual hues. Yes, because, um, yeah, Jeep, they love to right. put in some new colors. They have a bunch of funky colors. See, um, there's a reason that we turn to you for Jeep. <laughs> Uh, but basically, I mean, uh, so, the, you know, the 392 gets uh, the uh, uh, Extreme Recon package, which everybody seems to love. It's got bigger, beefier tires, beadlock wheels. Um, and uh, also something that's interesting on the 392 is it gets an onboard air compressor. That's cool. For the lift. 
for no in, for, like, in the for rear your tires. Yeah. Oh, just for the tires. No, not just for the tires. It's but for just for anything. anything. You can put any, any kind of. An oh, onboard. it's an inflator. It's an onboard. Well, I mean, they call it an air compressor. Well, that yeah. means it's it's it means Use it's it for various things. Bikes. It's like in tires. the it's in you open up the tailgate and it's back there. Now, I would take that to mean that it actually takes power from the vehicle. In other words, a lot of cars come with air inflators mm-hmm. for their tires, mm-hmm. no mm-hmm. spare tires. So this has got to be more than that. Yeah, that's well, interesting. Yeah. Um, another um, very much in demand SUV that did its uh, U.S. debut there. We first saw. Uh, the new generation well, super oh, oh. I, I should I, I should say that See, it does I, have this I tried new... I, now I, I don't ever tell me <laughs> madam producer <laughs> well, that, we, that we're going too long Go well, ahead, well right one ahead. of this one of the and I probably this probably should have been the first thing I mentioned about it is that it does have a sort of modified new seven slot grill which Jeep fans oh, are a little oh, back and forth big on. news big yeah. news but it looks a little different. Well, I, go ahead. I can't really You've explain. You've got to describe it. I, it's very hard to describe. It's just like a little, I don't know. A little rounded at the corner? I guess so. I, I was trying to find like how it was like very different, but I couldn't really tell. It doesn't really take tell. much. It looks like the slots are different shapes. They're kind of like edgier looking yeah not just, as smooth just slightly like but you know you but that's but grill. that's enough to get jeep people on edge that's yeah. right, that's right. <laughs> yeah. it doesn't take much but at, yeah and then other otherwise i think just the rest it gets um some unique red and black um interior accents because uh red is very um identifiable with the rubicon so and that's all i'll say about that <laughs> anybody else <laughs> Can I move no. on now? Yeah, nice. Can move on. Sorry. <laughs> All right. 2024 Subaru Crosstrek. This was the U.S. debut. We first got our, a look at the new generation Crosstrek last September when they did the Asian edition, but this is the first time we'd seen it in the flesh. Uh, my take, slightly smoother, more aerodynamic styling, very familiar looking otherwise. Yeah. The big deal is the interior with a big 11.6-inch uh, vertical screen if you get nav. But what do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, if you were to, like, ride past it on a galloping horse, you'd say, yeah, it's a cross track, like I can tell. But it's not – it doesn't have, like, too many crazy things to the exterior done to it to make it, like, super, super new. But it does look good. They have, like, different, like, air outlets, like, I think by the wheel arches mm-hmm. and stuff mm-hmm. to, like, stabilize the vehicle. 10% stiffer chassis, so that's cool. And uh, No more manual no, I was about to say, oh, no more manual yeah. transmission. That's kind of a sad. Know? That's yeah. too bad. There, there, is a, there is a weird sort of subculture, a very small yeah. group of people who like doing, getting a manual cross-track, getting it on bigger, knobbier tires, yeah. and creating yeah, like are, a are, medium yeah. off-roader. There yes. is a group, and there are a group of off-roaders that will never believe that an automatic transmission can live up to a manual if the terrain really gets rough. I mean, they just won't. And I think Even there's, there's plenty of proof otherwise. There's something about a cross track that just gives you, it could be purely illusion, but you feel like it's just a little more durable than a lot of other subcompact SUVs. Mm-hmm. Like you and could which is actually, image, but it's yeah. well, it's, it's like, I would, I would trust, you really want. I would trust it more getting out into the sticks than a lot of other brands of like, you know, I don't want to badmouth anybody, but I, I think I would trust it more for a camping trip than I would a lot of other cheap, small SUVs. Yeah. 
I think another important thing to note is that the MSRP does not change compared to the 2023 model. So we're still at a starting price. Of what's going on in the car market? We're still at a starting price of 24,995. Now that's before destination, but that still means that you can get a Crosstrek for under thirty thousand dollars. Now, the base model comes with what they describe as a two-screen interface. I haven't actually seen it. Has anybody seen it? You Instead, say the base model? The base model. If you don't order navigation, you get right. a different uh, center layout. But I'm not quite sure what that looks it's like. probably one of those things where there's one screen for the radio and then yeah. a screen above, which is But your, I'm like, not clear it's if it's two, the same, ta same dimensions. It's like two seven-inch screens. Like right, right there in the center stack, and like Joe was saying, it was like one is for like your navigation, your infotainment, like right. that kind of stuff. But it is the it other, within the same tablet um, dimensions. I don't I, I, I see don't that part. I'm not 100 yeah, clear because I, I, I didn't put any pictures so. out of that. But so. I don't, I don't think I think they they're like two defined kind of units, okay. but they're like right. I mean they're sandwiched right, right there they're in the center top stack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the top one's going to what have your gas mileage and ambient temperature and compass and whatever the else. things that right, they yeah. used to put on the top of the dash. Yeah, that little. But uh, nice looking vehicle, and, and it's yes. now the the two point five liter is being made in America. Yeah, That's well, that was the other thing. The two top trims are now going to be made here. Yes, the Sport and Atlanta. Atlanta. And those will those will be the ones that were most likely to come with the the uh, navigation system, mm -hmm. although not. Real quickly, have you noticed more and more of the vehicles that we're testing? You no longer can get a factory nav system. I have not, but I had several people mention that to me. I I oh, still see question. them. I could see why. Well, everybody's would, using it on their phones. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna say like I've been seeing Nav like really like even though they have the same screen in there, it's just Nav is like an option. Well, Nav is has right. Pretty much but, always. Uh, been. But I guess my point is like you would think like oh they already have the screen they already have all the satellite hookups and everything yeah. you would think they would just start offering it but exactly that like if people are using their phones they must figure. I mean a lot of the time we are getting the higher end models which of do have Nav. Yeah. Um, in them, but I think as I mean, as long as your car, a vehicle offers uh, wired CarPlay, mm -hmm. I see no need to have navigation. Well, I know I personally use it off my phone more than times than not. Except but. now with EVs, you get it. It can calculate the next charging stop in your true. Most that's route. a little different. But, but yeah, that's a but little different. You idea, can do that on an app on your phone. The too. idea is next gen Apple CarPlay and I think Android Auto is supposed to be able like to take the into in is supposed to be able to take the information from your car and be able to do that through the app. The, Very um, interesting. That'll be cool. Mm. Anyway, you know, sometimes you get it, but I don't think you have to have it anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, on my, on, it's not on my car, I use the one off the phone almost all the time. Okay, let's move on to another um, made in the USA vehicle. Mm -hmm. uh, Volkswagen de ha has been making the uh, Volkswagen Atlas and the Atlas Crossport, the three row and two row. Uh, in Chattanooga for three years. They've sold 650,000 of them, which oh, is really very <laughs> si significant. And they've give them, given them a very substantial uh, reface or refresh for 24. Mm, yes. uh, exterior, it's mostly about uh, adaptive headlights and some more LEDs. But inside's totally redone and not bad. I thought it really modernized it. Uh, yeah. Powertrain now is just one single four-cylinder, no more VR6. I think that's the last 
vehicle that was using the VR6 sold here? I believe so. I saw an article yeah. that was like, goodbye, VR6. It's too bad because that was a very torquey little six-cylinder engine, but it, which was, it was a narrow angle six. It was almost like having, almost like having an inline six, but not quite. Mm. But uh, what did you guys think? About it? I mean, awesome. I th- I'm I'm really digging the new illuminated badges. I think that's really cool. I think it stands out from the crowd, which in that uh, class, yeah, in that they, class, done, which they, they need it up market. I think they absolutely have because anything anything over the base model gets the illuminated badges. That's front and rear, and it also gets this really cool light bar on mm. the top of the uh, the hood that we actually, if you've seen a uh, ID4 behind right. you in the, in the night, um, it has that same light bar. So that's clearly the um, styling that Volkswagen's going toward, but I think it's great styling. And also something that's very unique, and I think this is just really well that Volkswagen has positioned themselves this way, is like just little things. Like there are now standard ventilated front seats in this. And I think that if somebody hears that in this car, that might be a, a reason in which they buy it. Well, they're using the word elegant for the interior, which I think is a step up. Alex, anything? Uh, not much. I mean, 12-inch uh, infotainment and now a 10.25-inch instrument panel. I mean, everything obviously is going, we're going screens, right? More tech. But you get so, the digital cockpit standard, I think. I believe so, yeah. yeah. So, you know, that's just, again, it's like it's bringing more people into this, like, you know, more elegant thing. Plus wireless um, Play. Uh, yeah, like the the app integration and stuff. So mm-hmm. again, going back to what we were just saying, you know, Joe, did you have a chance to look at them at all? Yeah, and I mean, I'm sad to see the V6 go bye bye. Also, and I'm I'm curious about the calculus of that. I mean, do are people are people worried about towing with a turbo four? You know, I, I'm sure not many Atlas drivers tow, but like I do wonder. There's a lot of these big three rows that are getting a lot of power out of a little displacement. And they're doing 5,000 pounds, like yeah. the one we're going to talk about next. Well, yeah. the, the Atlas this one can does do 5,000. 5, yeah, I know. Yeah. And, and, you, and you think about that and you think, but, you know, there's an old adage that there's no uh, replacement for displacement, so I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't doubt they have the power. I just wonder what happens to that poor little engine when you're towing a camper uphill. You know, but I, I, I don't know. I, is there any more reliable engine in the world than a two-liter Volkswagen 4? So. Also a good point. And I think what, in most use cases, right, most people are not towing with this. Right. Most people sure. are not pushing They're this not thing to its 5, limits. Uh, yeah, and if you, I think the 5,000 number is a good number because for people who tow kind of closer to the standard 4,000 pounds and they get a little bit nervous, this kind of, Mm. I think, helps in that way. Um, But it's kind of almost a new standard, I think, for this class, too. I will say when you get inside, what I noticed first was just how clean the new instrument panel layout is. It's very linear. Uh, with a you know the prescribed big screen in the middle, but it's ultra clean and I think mm. very modern looking. And if you didn't know, if you are you know with a new powertrain, new front and rear, new interior, if you didn't know this wasn't an all new vehicle, if you were a buyer, you would think they've redesigned it. Mm-hmm. They redesigned everything you see and most of everything you touch. So they mm. did a nice job. Now, the biggest single reveal at Chicago, and this was a big deal. Yeah. The 2024 Toyota Grand Highlander, a lengthened version of the Highlander with a true adult-size 
third row, also made in the U.S. Mm -hmm. What can you folks tell everybody about them? So, I mean, it's out on the exterior. It's not exactly a big surprise. It looks like a bigger Highlander. I think it looks more like a cross. I thought it looks more purposeful, more like a little more Sequoia in the front end. But it's mm. it's pretty, it's pretty mean looking. Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's built on the same platform as both the Sienna and the Highlander, right. but obviously, it's it's just. It's grander. bigger. It's yeah, it's six grander. Inch, six inches longer yeah. for everybody. So, they're so it fits right between Highlander and Sequoia. Yeah, and so they Toyota's touting this as the adult as an adult-sized third row. And I tested it out, and I'm a little shorter than adult-sized. But the consensus <laughs> to most of the people that I have talked to, and also I've sat in a lot of third rows, um, it is very spacious, mm -hmm. and it is it is a huge step up compared to the standard Highlander, which one of the biggest complaints with the Highlander is the third row, which is really more of a utility third row or for smaller The leg room children. more than doubles. It goes from yeah. two and a half to five point two. Would, would Greg fit? That is. I think Greg would fit. Uh, I think he I would fit. I fit, and I'm not. I don't have Greg's height, but I've got more bulk. I thought they. I thought it was pretty. I thought they did a really good yeah. job with the with like where your legs sit. Mm -hmm. Like they fit very nicely underneath the, the seat in front row. of you. Yeah, because um, yeah, so many third rows, you have to like. There's no floor. The floor is so close to the seat yes. bottom. You have to do like stick your legs out. Yeah. Yes. But it, yes. it doesn't make you do that. There is like a a shape for your legs to go there down is absolutely there's plenty of room for your legs um yeah and i think a lot of people think well grand highlander why wh what is it what about the sequoia right but these are two, two very, very different, different vehicles, vehicles. sequoia is truck based yes, yes. and so correct. the advantages of course of this one being that it comes with three powertrains mm -hmm. um although all four cylinders all of them are four cylinders which well, we were talking. We were just talking about well, it being you know, a vehicle, four-cylinder, three-row crossover, four-cylinder only. It's not here yet for everybody, but it's coming. Yeah. So you have uh, the two-point, a 2.4 liter that is just a standard gas. Then you have a 2.5 liter hybrid that Toyota is saying can get us 34 miles per gallon, which I think is probably the biggest deal. But I think other people might think the biggest deal is the new hybrid Max powertrain right. that will get you 300. 162 horsepower and I think 400, 400 pound yep. feet of torque. Yep. So, um, and that has the 5,000. Everybody that's feet. not familiar with the hybrid Max of Toyota, that is going for power, not additional fuel economy mm -hmm. necessarily. I think it's one. Is it any improvement in fuel economy or do we know? What do you Is the over max the over the gas regular on. hybrid? Oh, they didn't give any numbers I think, for. I think in one other vehicle it was like a 1% gain. One. I want to say the gain. Crown. The crown. That's Was it the crown? No, that couldn't, no, have, been. couldn't have been. Anyway, anyway, they're going. They're going. Maybe the Tundra. I think it would have been the, the truck. Old, the old Honda route, which didn't work for Honda, which was going after power. But what they've done is say, okay, we've given you the fuel economy that everybody expects, and now we're going to give you more power to emulate the v6 that we no longer offer mm -hmm. anywhere in that lineup it also gives though toyota more suvs than any other brand i so. think this i think this vehicle is it's gonna be a big is hit. exactly what most people need 
Because I'm such, you know, I'm a very big hybrid fan. Mm -hmm. So to me. I personally think every vehicle should be standard hybrid. Right. That's my opinion. And this is for people who are buying Tahoes mm -hmm. and um, and uh, expeditions who don't need that full-size body-on-frame vehicle but still want that space. Well, and it's also for people uh, that are looking at our favorites like the Hyundai Palisade yes. and uh, Kia yes. Telluride, very large three-row crossovers with V6s that are fabulous vehicles but basically give you about 25 at most at miles most. per gallon. So, I mean, Hopefully this starts a trend. It starts a trend. Thirteen, uh, yeah, Go thirteen on. large cup holders. Yeah, that's, nice. that's my favorite. Nice. Yeah. All right, that's my favorite. I didn't one. see that. They said it was road trip ready. I was like, prove that it. Is. They said thirteen large cup so, holders. I said, all right, you won. That's so, it. So I did see on Twitter. I don't know if it was Jess or somebody else was talking about. It. I guess did they have like video games set up in the back seat? So they, they yeah. built a special. So like five hundred oh, yeah, people yeah. are getting a so getting cool. a Nintendo Switch when they buy a Grand Highlander, mm. and so they built this custom Grand Highlander that had like huge stereo system and a huge screen in it. So yeah, I was playing Mario Kart in the third row of the Grand Highlander. Like, like I remember <laughs> when in-car DVD players, you know, my parents never bought one, but you know, in-car DVD players and screens in the back of the headrest are really big. And I, I still see some cars still offer screens for the third rows or whatever. And I wondered, Every kid today is glued to an iPad anyways. Why do you need to put a sc screens well, in the car? Clear, uh, we, we the see nothing. Wants we see, to control it. That's we see why. none in the Grand Highlander. Toyota isn't even messing with that. They, they, they know, they know that. They know that kids have iPads. Mm -hmm. so they don't need a built-in screen. not waste the money because we're not going to sell those units and people aren't going to mm -hmm. buy them. Yeah, because they're right. So, but that's cool. So that was just an yeah. auto show thing. Then. Yeah, it, it was wasn't. Cool. That's not a feature you can get at a dealer. Unfortunately, not. <laughs> okay, we are now going. We've got one more reveal from uh, Chicago, but we'll get to after uh, the reason. Our Joe Ligo is our special guest, is here. Joe, for how many years did you work at Motor Week? About four. About four years. And during that period, Joe was our unabashed historian, largely because Joe has a penchant for older vehicles. And um, he is now an independent filmmaker, if you can use that word, or independent documentarian. And he's working on a six-part series that hopefully will be coming to public television and streaming in the fall of 2024. It's the story of American Motors Corporation, what we always knew as AMC. And Joe, I'm going to kind of let you take it from there. Tell us what your documentary is about. Give us an idea of the scope and what your, uh, the point of view that you're taking with it. Sure. Well, thanks for having me on to, to talk about this. Yes, so uh, some friends and I are working on a documentary called The Last Independent Automaker, and it's the story of American Motors Corporation. And um, the term independent was used in the automotive press during the 50s and 60s to refer to any American company that was not GM, Ford, or Chrysler. Right. So Studebaker, Packard, uh, American Motors, Hudson Nash, all that stuff. So the last independent automaker is the story of AMC from around the time the company was created in 1954 through the merger of Hudson and Nash, mm -hmm. two smaller companies, all the way to 1987, which, you know, I'm going to spoil the ending, they get bought out by Chrysler in 1987. And so through that 30-some year period, of the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, 
as you know, the U.S. auto industry went through enormous changes. And this is the story of how this little company weathers that storm in the highs and, and lows. Including buying Jeep. Yes, including... I mean, that was probably the single most pivotal thing that the company ever did. Absolutely. In 1969, 1970, they bought Jeep Corporation from Kaiser Industries mm -hmm. for a song. I mean, it was like hard. It was like 10 million cash and then some stock finagling, you know, exchanging stock for, for equity and stuff like that. And of course, you know, Jeep, American Motors took Jeep from being a, you know, 40,000 units a year company to a, you know, 200,000 unit a year company. Really? Now it's like- They I, invented <laughs> the compact four-door or should say five-door SUV. Yeah. So, so Jeep, Jess will be happy to know, <laughs> Jeep is a, a big part of that story, but certainly not the only part. Um, because there's lots of time before that purchase where, you know, we're talking about American Motors struggling to survive in the 50s and 60s and, you know, the muscle car era and then the, what we call the malaise or the emissions era of the 70s and, you know, the foreign invasion. And so there's so many different moving parts. And I think it's really fun to go through history and look at how we got to where we are today and how much of the past influences that. But the historic names, just run down some of them. I mean, everybody remembers, of course, the Nash Ramblers, but right. Ramblers continue, but all those other great names, right? You good know, and bad. Yes. Names like, you know, Marlin or, you know, Javelin, AMX, Gremlin, Hornet, Pacer, Eagle. It's funny, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yes, Pacer. We were talking about uh, the Subaru Crosstrek literally runs the exact same playbook as the AMC right. Eagle. Take an existing car, don't change any a of the body panels. Take a passenger car. Take a passenger <laughs> car. Don't change any of the body panels. Right. Lift it two inches and add fender flares. It really was the first <laughs> crossover uh, SUV. Yes. And so, right, the AMC Eagle was the same thing. They took a car they had. They had no money. They took a car that already existed, lifted it, added four-wheel drive and fender flares, and it was a new car. It was a new product, a new and, class. And, you know, while everybody likes to look down their nose at the Pacer, the original Pacer was supposed to have, of course, a Wankel engine in it and was designed around that. And it was, at the time, the most advanced-looking, modern-looking automobile you could buy in the world. Right. And it's one of the things where, you know, we, we sometimes look back at his, history and misinterpret it. It's, if you go back to the primary sources, read what the car magazines were saying in right. 1975, not what people are saying 30 years later— the Pacer, there were lines out the dealerships. It looked like there, it looked like something the Jetsons would drive. Right, there were Big there bubble were of glass. Dealers were begging for more Pacers. They were like, you know, the factory was running three shifts. They, right. It was the hottest right. new car ever, and then all of a sudden, overnight, it tanked. And so, diving into the why of that is is part of what this documentary does. And it's can you very, give us a hint? Why did it tank so quickly? There's well, obviously, not having the Wanko engine played a big part. They had to compromise a they lot of the stuffed design. a six-cylinder engine yes. in it and you could not get to the spark plugs on the last two rear cylinders yes you had to like remove the cowl it, to yes. get in to change the I spark know plugs. because it's a disaster well i had experience with that <laughs> and you know uh, gas mileage played a big role the car was a lot heavier than the original design because they had to engineer safety stuff and rollover requirements and door right. panels and, and so you wind up with a car that's kind of goofy looking that doesn't get great gas mileage and it's not really a recipe for success but it's it i think 
uh, a famous historian once said, uh, he said, you know, history is an, an antidote to the hubris of the present. <laughs> and I think when you look back, we all, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. We're all very arrogant today about how could they do something so stupid as the Pacer. But if you go back and it talk was, to the people. I was there. They. It was not stupid. They were working hard. They were trying to figure out the, because the whole purpose was they said, like, the problems we have today. They In 1970, they were like, okay, we're dealing with air pollution. We're dealing with congestion. We're dealing with traffic what is the car of the future that is going to be small that's going to be safe that's going to be easy to see out of you know if you're looking at a chevy impala and you're looking at you know a highway that's four lanes of impalas bumper to bumper you think well what if we shrink that footprint give them the same interior room smaller exterior better gas mileage more visibility they thought this through and they were wrong, but it's still fun to see what the thought process was. They weren't a bunch of, you know, as Bob Lutz once referred to AMC, he said, they're not a bunch of brain dead idiots. You know? no, and <laughs> and with, it was true. They weren't. They, with that said, there's, and I don't remember the specifics, but there was, it may have been the Pacer. When the Pacer came out, it was at the Detroit Auto Show. And whoever was in charge of GM at that time, this is the way I remember the story, was there looking at it opened the door, took one look at the door, closed the door, and as he walked away, he pulled over some of his staff and said, why can't we do a door that's that thin? Mm. Because it was, at those times, if you opened the door of any American car, it was almost like it was a foot thick. Yeah. And the pacer was much thinner. Now, I believe that story, the guts of that story is true. But, you know, AMC often didn't have the testing facilities that everyone else had. Uh, which right. led to some of their quality problems. But um, you've got like dozens and dozens of interviews in this from folks that this is not just your opinion. You've backed it up with a, an incredible array of uh, XAMC folks. Right. So my goal is to have none of my opinion in this and to <laughs> let them tell their story, which which is hard. But um Yes, we've interviewed probably over 35 people, and that includes everyone from folks who worked on the assembly line, you know, putting hubcaps on, all the way up to two former CEOs of the company. Right. And so we're really trying to get the full picture of this, which is something it's really hard to get in the automotive industry because if the company's still around, they're very protective. But since AMC's gone, there's no PR person watching over my shoulder. There's no archivist telling me they won't give me these photos. It's a, it's a, a dead company. And so we have a lot more freedom. And I think people are a lot more willing to be interviewed because they're not afraid of losing their pension over something they say about the company. And so we, um, you know, obviously, Back in that era, the the management ranks of the automobile companies are overwhelmingly white and male. But the factory side of it was very much a melting pot of an, a reflection of America. I mean, you had European immigrants, you had African Americans who had traveled, you know, during the Great Migration mm -hmm. north to work mm -hmm. in the factories and you know build a new life in the north. Uh, you had women. A lot of women worked in the plant. We tend to think of the stereotype of like working in a car factory is a man's job. It's not. There were a lot of women we interviewed who worked on the line side by side with men and it was because these were good paying jobs that built a community and 
building a car back then was hard work. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. not like there, today where no it's robots, robots to help you around. You, you, you know, know, somebody was like, my job was to put lift gates on, you know, on pacers for eight hours a day, and they yeah. weighed two hundred pounds. Yeah. And there were two of us, and we had to lift it into position and, you know, put yeah. the bolts in, and you do that for eight hours yeah. every day. Well, I'm, I'm. Go ahead, Jay. No, no, I was just saying that was that that that's. It's, I couldn't imagine doing that. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I think it's a fascinating story. Uh, I, we, we have MotorWeek's been around long enough. We remember many years we would be at the You've AMC You've actually reviewed new AMCs, right? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, we Which shows it, it wasn't that long ago no. that this company existed. We tend to think of it as an old, old story. No, but no, I mean, no, no. Southfield, Michigan, their headquarters there, big AMs, American Motors on the top of the building. They had a huge feel out back. We'd go there every summer and test all their new products. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't that long ago. It's kind of crazy, you know, because like you mentioned some of the nameplates, right? Like, mm-hmm. like the Hornet, right? Ray's coming back. It's coming back. Coming back. So, and of course, you know, Jeep being, I mean, who would and, have ever fathomed that Jeep would be what it is today? No, but I think that's the essence of the, I mean, obviously that's what Chrysler saw but in them. But I think that the fact that the, the story of AMC to me really continues to live on through the success of Jeep, mm-hmm. I think. Well, and I, I have to thank Motor Week, of course, for uh, letting us use some of your archive footage. If you, When the series comes out, if you watch, you'll see clips of, of vintage Motor Week and vintage John Davis driving around. Very vintage. <laughs> different AMCs. With hair. And, uh, you know, we interviewed, we interviewed you modern a modern interview with you reflecting back on it and and the late pat goss was also interviewed so we're glad to have a chance to talk to him as well well keep us up to date on him on his progress and when the show is ready uh, to air we'll have you back on to kind of give us a preview of it absolutely and there's a trailer on youtube if you search the last independent automaker you can find us and then we have a facebook page as well so the last independent automaker facebook and youtube yep so you can see our trailer and or just joe ligo (laughs) well i'm on i'm on twitter but yeah search our Facebook page is where we update on the progress of the documentary. Anytime we have a cool interview or a you know cool car that we film, we always post behind-the-scenes stuff. Thank you, Joe. Thanks Thank for you. Us. Okay, we've got uh, actually two more vehicles we want to talk about real quickly. The uh, Chicago Auto Show, uh, everybody knows everybody's doing, wants to do electric pickup trucks. And uh, Ram has been a little behind uh, both Ford and Chevrolet and GMC. And they did bring to the Chicago Auto Show the first time the public got a chance to see the 2024 Ram 1500 Revolution Concept EV pickup. It had been shown to the press. However, what no one really expected when we saw it was that almost immediately in the Super Bowl commercial, Ram showed the production model 2024 Ram 1500 Rev, REV. Well... No, it was two weeks. It wasn't even two weeks later after they showed it in uh, Chicago. Well, they had. Well, we first saw it at the Consumer Electronics Show, I right. believe, which was early, early, January. early January. So you're talking about a month. Right. When this is the revolution. The rev- you saw the revolution. You saw the revolution at CES, and they said, "Well, the production." And we and uh, and I have to tell you, if you look at the revolution, you think, "Really." Because it looks very stylized. It doesn't mm-hmm. look like a Ram. And, well, and when they debuted the Revolution concept, they were like, oh, we're going to talk about the, well, the production one will come in, in the next few months. Not month, 
I don't know whether that was to throw us off or if this was just really good timing or maybe they had a certain reaction to the concept because I thought the concept looked great. We talked about it on it looked a previous stylized. podcast. It looked it didn't look they weren't hard build like it. a ram. Yeah. Yeah. It looked I hate to say it, it looked a little bit like, you know, it put some some Honda Ridgeline in there, maybe a little Cybertruck. It it didn't look Ram-ish. No. Did you what was no, your No, no. B- between the two of them, were you surprised? Um not really because when I saw the revolution, when I saw the concept, uh, I mean, I looked at it and was like, it's cool. There's some, there's some orange lights in there. So I, that's neat. I like orange, but outside of that, I looked at it and I just thought they're not going to build this. Like, I just don't think they're going to, if they do, that's cool, but I just but don't the think the Ram they will. customer. So, it, it, right. And that's the thing is like, I'm not really a truck guy. I'm not a Ram guy. So I, I don't have that, that like have that same vision. But yeah, when I looked at it, I was like, eh, you know, whatever. Uh, the production model, or you know what we saw in the in the ad, definitely looks more in line with Ram, with like the right. uh, design language. And also, I looked at it and went, yeah, I mean, like if they were going to electrify a Ram or, or you know make it an EV, like yeah, that's that's what it would look like. It's got the forks in right. the front and everything. It's, right, it's yeah, just a gas Ram that's been electrified. It's not an all new chassis and all this other fancy stuff. It's pretty much like oh, they just took it and made it. But electric. is that true? We don't know that. We well, yeah. right, we don't know that's, that. That's that's because sorry, that's how it looks. That's, that's, yeah, that's, yeah. like, that's, that's the impression you get. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. like oh yeah, that's 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 a Ram fifteen hundred. Where F one fifty is a new chassis, but it looks like a, a regular F one fifty. But the Silverado insane. now looks like Something an avalanche. No, I mean I think I like. I like the the production version. I think it looks like a Ram. Yep. People who buy Rams like them because right. they have they that like look. The styling. We haven't seen the inside of it really though, um, so I'm excited to kind of see what the interior looks like. Well, but they've already put a big screen in the Ram, so you know how how much different can it be? And one last thing we probably should mention is that while this is going to be like all electric, Ram is looking into and at. Uh, a range extender. Yeah, model. they teased mm. some kind Teased. of. They, they, they won't say what it explain is. Explain to yeah. our audience what what we our concept of a range extender is. So it's. I probably don't. Have the well, it's a small gasoline yes, engine it's that's a, a generator. Small, yeah, engine that's a generator that charges the battery, in right a mostly electric vehicle. Yeah, of concept like the Volt, which was very successful and people really liked, and one of the biggest. Um, problems that people have specifically with the larger EVs is that there's an issue with range and charging and what if I want to go on a road trip and so the I I actually like the idea of having a range extender in a vehicle of this size I think it makes sense for the market at this point in time I agree especially if you're going to be the the one a tow that's going to be the nut that cracks, you know, they're going to crack that towing nut that is so difficult with, with some of the Lightning and Rivian and stuff where, like, once mm-hmm. you put a trailer on it, your range goes down to, like, 90 miles or whatever. Yeah, if there's a range extender in there and Ram can say, we're the truck, we're the EV you can tow with. Well, they made that very clear that they were going to beat all comers. Yeah, they said they're they're going to be the new yeah. standard pretty much for everything. Really quick, we have two more yeah. things to uh, do before we wrap this up. Uh, a vehicle that just came on our radar as we were getting ready to... To record uh, this podcast, sort of snuck in a refresh of the Buick Encore GX. What do we know? It's got a new badge. It's got the uh, the Tri Shield badge. First new North front American, end. North, yeah, first 
I'll just keep talking about the badge. You know? <laughs> uh, yeah, but it is a fir- their first North American vehicle that's got the badge. Um, but yeah, so it's a new front end. That's like the the big thing you're going to notice. You look at it, and they described it in all sorts of ways. But I guess the most simple way to put it is it's more modern. Uh, I know before the podcast, we had kind of likened it a bit to maybe – uh, Chevy, you know, a little bit, you know, and, and I but don't. It does I don't have wanna... that kind of gaping uh, sure, uh, lower yeah. lip that that that's become fairly familiar. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I they think... sell a lot of of uh, SUVs. Yeah, it's an all SUV brand now. Um, two powertrains are available, uh, to my understanding, a 1.2 liter and a 1.3 liter. <laughs> um, yeah, it kind of threw me for a loop there too. Uh, so the you get two uh, drive or. Uh, yeah, drive systems. You get front-wheel drive standard. There's also all-wheel drive. The all-wheel drive gets a nine-speed automatic. The front-wheel drive gets a CVT, um, which is... Easy to make that choice. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I believe it's a model first. It's the... Uh, and I, I don't think I can pronounce it right because I'm definitely not a writer. Um, Avenir? Avenir? Avenir, that's... Yeah. Hey, I get, look Avenir, at that. I've, seen, I've forgotten whether it's Avenir and Avenir, but go ahead. That's close enough. You know, I got it right, you know. So, so but it gets the, the high-end <laughs> it's, it's luxury getting, Yeah, trim. this is going to be its first time, like, on this model, to my understanding. So, yeah, it's got all the... That's their their peak like, trim level. Yeah, they were saying that uh, on other models that have this trim, like, they've been selling a lot. Um, I believe it. You know, people really enjoy it. A shocker. So, you know. Now, there has been, in the past, an Encore and an Encore GX. Mm-hmm. So my what we don't know, I guess, is whether they're doing one or normal encore. Where the normal encore, which is a slightly different vehicle. I always thought that the GX was a little. The GX is a little smaller, quirkier. A little quirkier. Quirkier, but they they are totally different. Yeah. Like vehicles, it's not, yeah. it's not a trim level. It's yeah. a different, bo- yeah. different body yeah. panels. Different, it is, which yeah. I always get. I don't know. I get frustrated when companies do that. It's the, it's very confusing. You they, imagine how you the have buyers... a Bronco and a Bronco Sport. And oh the, gosh, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. That that could lead into our rant and rave. And I'm just gonna go to you for <laughs> that. No, I'll, that that wasn't the thing I was gonna rant about. Does but anybody is, have a rant and rave? And Joe looks like Joe. he's got his hand up Joe's already. Got something well, uh, yeah, you know the the sub naming and sub brands and Bronco Bronco sport and they're two different vehicles and then trying to explain that to like your mother-in-law who it's wants hard. to buy one is, yeah. is frustrating <laughs> but no um i i don't know i i was thinking about uh this is <laughs> this it's not it's not nice to revel in other people's misfortune but i will say watching the car market change rapidly as especially the used car market with interest rates mm. um i have watched um used tesla prices for like maybe close to 10 years now and i had never had the courage to like pull the trigger and of course you know you can talk about how financially unwise it is to buy a 10 year old model s but (laughs) it has been very gratifying to watch people who were trying to flip cars and like sell a three-year-old model three for above the msrp when it was new it's been very gratifying to look at all the Facebook marketplace posts and watch how they all have a, have a line through the price and then say like minus 5,000, yep. minus yeah. 7,000, yep. minus 10,000. Because I mean, I think people really in 2021 and early 2022, I think people were really getting greedy and it was hurting yes. people. Yes. It was hurting regular people who just needed honest transportation. And I mean, you, nobody really needs a Tesla or any kind of luxury car, but 
I have been, I guess you could say, I've been raving at how prices are coming down. <laughs> because there, I think there was a lot of un, like dishonest behavior, especially like 100%. I said. People were buying new cars at MSRP and then flipping them for above them. They were putting 30,000 miles on them and then flipping them for above MSRP. Right. And I just, I'm glad to see some of those shenanigans come to an end, whether it was sanctioned by dealerships or it were private people were private charging actors. what they thought the market would bear this morning for the first time i saw a new car dealer saying six grand off a full-size pickup truck off of msrp oh, wow that's the first time i've seen that in three years it's uh yeah i i have a cousin who just bought a new car and he ended up getting it msr under msrp yeah. wow. but um i also saw someone that was searching for their budget was ten thousand dollars they for they want to get a used car mm. for ten thousand dollars, and it c had to be, they said newer than um, or couldn't be older than the Obama administration, and the search was hard. Mm. It yeah. was hard yeah. to find. I mean, you're talking about we're talking about that. That means two thousand and eight is your is your latest right. model that you're going to or right. earliest model. Mm. That that's fifteen year old car for ten thousand dollars in decent shape. I mean, if you would have said that that this was a, something that would happen five years ago, I don't think anybody no. would have believed you. No. But also, like ten, ten thousand dollars is a lot of money to for an old car. Like a lot of anyone. people are, and a lot of dealers are still asking unrealistic prices. Yes, yeah. especially individuals. Yeah. Individuals haven't caught up with what's really going on. No, no, yeah, yeah. It's it's still people are out of their minds. But like I said, it's been very fun. To <laughs> <laughs> you know, because people were doing stuff like you know they'd have like a 2018 Model Three with like 80,000 miles, and they'd want 50 grand. I'm like, okay, That's I'm like, okay, buddy. They're like, oh, it's worth it. It has the 3M paint protection armor, and I'm like, that doesn't make it MSR. <laughs> like, so, but it's but I yeah, you see in the forums and on Facebook Marketplace, Craigslist, whatever, you know, the prices are coming down because you know the economy's changing i i have no sympathy for people and and the their help the 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 supply of vehicles is getting better it de yep. still depends upon the brand and then and the vehicle model. Yeah, yeah the model but there are new cars that you can buy all you have to do is just go through, pick pick a dealer, any dealer, and look at their website and see that uh, market adjustment disappearing mm, yeah, rapidly. Yeah, yeah 100%. All right, we're going to wrap up our podcast. Thanks to our writer, Alex Kellum, our digital producer, Jessica Ray, who's also the producer of the podcast, and our special guest for the day, Joe Ligo. Thank, Thank you, you so again, much. Joe. This was really fun. Thanks, John. And everybody out there, our audio engineer, Austin Harris, has made us sound as good as we can today. And thank you, Austin. Our podcast creator, Bob Mixter, and of course, Jessica here to guide us through. I want to thank all of you for listening to our podcast. If you're wondering what time Motor Week can be seen on your local public television station, go to our website, motorweek.org, click on the tab about the show, then station listings, and enter your zip code for days and times in your area. Or hop over to our cable partner, MavTV.com, for their schedule. You can also stream MotorWeek episodes for free on your mobile device or streaming box by downloading the PBS video app available at your device's app store or streaming channel library. Take a breath, John. All of the individual road tests and feature segments are also available at our YouTube.com slash MotorWeek site. 
In other words, everybody, if you've got a screen, you can watch Motor Week. Till next time, I'm John Davis. For all of us, thank you for being a part of Motor Week. You have been listening to the podcast of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine. Motor Week is made possible by Lucas Oil, Auto Value and Bumper to Bumper, and TireRack.com.